Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join new pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Order in the Church. Well, if you've been with us <laughs> since May when we started this book, and by the way, we're going to finish this book, Lord willing, on the first Sunday in December. But you know, the, the Corinthian church, it had a lot of problems, right? I mean, some, so, a lot of churches have some problems. The, the church of Corinth had a lot of problems. As we've made our way through the first 13 chapters of this letter, what we've seen is that Paul is addressing problem after problem after problem. We've seen problems of factions in the church, lawsuits, Christians suing Christians, immorality in the church, any sex outside of marriage, we know God's word is clear, it's, it's immorality, it's displeasing to the Lord. The abuse of Christian liberties, we saw that. The lack of financial support for God's ministry and God's ministers, we saw that in chapter nine. Um, the resistance of God's order of authority. The abuse of communion and the lack of love for one another. I mean, this is a church that had a lot of issues. And so in our chapter today, chapter 14, Paul had to correct the Corinthians yet again, and this time it's because of a lack of order in the fellowship. And so let's look at verse one. He says, pursue, what's the word there? Love, we saw that last week. If you missed it, please go back online um, and check it out. But pursue love, agape love, it's not a selfish act of taking, it's a selfless act of giving. The best way I can think of it is a parent's love for their kid. You know, right? You love your kid not for what your kid can do for you. Man, you love your kid just because you want to give to your kid. You want to see that kid grow up and develop and be healthy and strong um, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You pour your life. You sacrifice for that kid to become everything that kid can be as an adult. Yes or no? Yes, right? That's love. And so pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. It's okay to desire spiritual gifts. I used to teach this. I used to teach, hey, seek the giver, not the gift, until I read that verse. <laughs> and so now I've corrected myself, and here's what I say now. Primarily seek the giver, but also, in a secondary way, seek his gifts. He says right there, desire spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with that but especially that you may what? Prophesy, you remember this from chapter 12? Here's the definition again. The gift of prophecy is a divine enablement to speak forth. Everybody say speak forth, go ahead. Okay, that's prophecy, a divine enablement to speak forth God's word, God's truth, and according to verse three, which we'll see in a minute, why? To edify, exhort, and comfort others. And so prophecy, as I said back in chapter 12, it does have a, sometimes a foretelling aspect to it. We saw that all through the Old Testament prophets as they foretold the future. We saw that, I think it's in Acts 11, but Agabus, remember, in the New Testament, he stands up, he gives a, a foretelling. Okay, so sometimes prophecy has a foretelling aspect to it, but the main way it's used in the church is not so much foretelling Though that's included sometimes, but forth telling. It's when an anointed believer speaks.
speaks forth the word of God, the truth of God to edify and exhort and comfort other people. Now, the forth telling of God's word should be a huge emphasis in the church. But we see that in the church of Corinth, they emphasized another spiritual gift. You see, the Corinthians did not make a big enough deal about prophecy, but they made a big, big deal about another gift, and that, of course, if you know the Corinthians and you know this chapter that we're getting into, it's the gift of tongues. That's what they emphasized in that church. Well, look at verse two. He says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Listen, this is the part that weirds some people out. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now some of you are new to the Bible, so we have to define what is now the gift of tongues. It is a divine enablement. You remember all these Spiritual gifts are divine enablements. It's not something we work up in ourselves. So tongues is a divine enablement to give thanksgiving and worship and praise to God in a language, that's what the word tongues means, language, you have not naturally learned. Now if you remember from last week, in chapter 13, verse one, Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of, does anybody remember the next word? Angels. I don't believe Paul's exaggerating here. I don't think he doesn't really mean the tongues of angels, as some commentators would say. No, he means the languages of men or the languages of angels. It's right there in black and white. And so the gift of tongues can refer to a language of man, but it also can refer to the language of angels. And that seems strange to some people, but it was common in Paul's day. Many of Paul's Jewish contemporaries believed the angels had a language and the humans could speak it with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of weird in our day because it's not talked about very much. Now, you gotta understand this. Because a lot of churches right now, this morning, across America are teaching this doctrine and it's not right. And they're saying that tongues have ceased. Ladies and gentlemen, the gift of tongues has not ceased. None of the gifts have ceased. Now what's happened in much of the church is that they'll walk into um, certain church services where it's wheels off, where there's no order in the church, and they'll get so freaked out by that, they'll run way over here, and then they'll develop a systematic theological position that does not line up with God's word because they don't ever want to experience the pandemonium in some churches, and that's not right. The pandemonium is not right, but it's also not right to go way over here, because when you go way over here, like Elvis, the Holy Spirit leaves the building, and no wonder your church service is so dead and stale and dry, because you have gone against the word of God, and you have said that all the gifts are not for today. That's in direct contradictory to God's word. All the gifts are for today. And so in chapter 13, verse eight, let's peek back real quick. In chapter 13, verse eight, Paul says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail, and where there are tongues, they will, what's the word? Cease, okay, so the question is, when does that happen? And by the way, John MacArthur, 
And I usually don't name names, but I have to name names because many of you have MacArthur study Bibles out there today. And John MacArthur will say that tongues ceased when the apostles died. John MacArthur is wrong on that point. I quote John MacArthur. I read his commentaries. I think the guy is fabulous. I agree with him 90 plus percent of the time, but he's wrong here. And so when do tongues cease? That's the question. Well, in verse 10, please look at verse 10. It says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So the idea here is when the perfect has come, then some of the gifts, the miraculous gifts, are gonna be done away. And some people will say that the perfect there is the completion of the New uh, Testament and the end of the apostolic age. And by the way, when I was a part of a certain church and I was ordained back in, I think, 1994, this was the position that I held because this is the position that was taught in my church. And I sat around a table with a bunch of pastors and a bunch of deacons and I had to give this, it's called the cessationist position. I was wrong. I'm so glad in 1995, my wife and I walked into a church that was a spirit-filled church that understood that the Holy Spirit is here today and Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore and all the gifts are for today. And man, what we experienced when we went into that kind of a church is the presence and the power of God in a fuller way. And that was a beautiful time in our lives when we experienced that. And so it's not, the Bible is perfect in the, in, the, in the original manuscripts, but that's not the definition of perfect in verse 10. What is the definition? Well, please look now at verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, okay, when the perfect has come, face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know just as I also am known. What's the perfect? Hey, it's, the, it's, it's Jesus Christ. It's when we see him. It's the, either the second coming of Christ when we see him then, or when we pass away and we graduate to the eternal state. Either way, we're perfect. He's perfect. Why do you need the gifts then? You guys get that? You got to get that. Okay, so the gift of tongues is absolutely for today, and it is a beautiful gift. Now, some of the guys that um, are my mentors from afar, um, of course, Pastor Chuck Smith, who started the Calvary Chapel uh, First Church in 1960s and has grown so much over, over the years on heaven with the Lord. But concerning the gift of tongues, this is what he says, and I quote, have you ever come to a place where your feelings are greater than your capacity to express them? I often do, especially when I am in the realm of spiritual things. I am in the realm of God's goodness and God's blessing, the greatness of God. And as I begin to ponder the things of God, the greatness of his love, his power, his glory, I suddenly come to the place where to express to God my thanksgiving and gratitude, well, language is a barrier. It doesn't really express what I feel. It is inadequate. God has given to us a gift whereby we can bypass the narrow channel of the intellect and we can enter into a full worship of him. 
My spirit now united with his spirit and a full unrestricted flow of my love, my appreciation, my expression to him of his greatness and his glory, the worship, the praise of my spirit to him through the gift of tongues. It's a beautiful gift, yet people are weirded out by it because either they don't have the gift and they hear somebody else who has the gift expressing it and it freaks them out, or they've been taught wrong. Another one of my mentors from afar is David Guzik, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. He says, and I quote, how does one actually speak in tongues? Everyone's experience may be slightly different, but generally we can make some observations. It doesn't happen as one just opens their mouth and God, quote, takes over their tongue. And it doesn't happen as they begin to wiggle their tongue and God takes over. It doesn't happen as they are told to repeat a nonsense word or phrase faster and faster until God takes over. Have you guys ever been there and done that? My wife taught at school many, many years ago in a, a different area, and somebody came and visited the school, and this person began to tell the kids, you just see, say this phrase over and over and over, and then you'll begin to speak in tongues. Where's that in the Bible? Right? You know, you tie my tie, I tie your tie. Say it 10 times in a row and you'll get the gift. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's a divine enablement. It's not something we work up in the flesh. So let's, let's, stay, let's stay biblical here. He says, actually, the language of tongues works much like languages we understand. A word or a sound occurs to our mind and we vocalize the word or sound. In the gift of tongues, one simply continues to speak the words and sounds coming into their mind, trusting God is prompting us, and he understands, what we, he understands what we are saying, and that what we are saying is perfectly appropriate for the moment. And so what you gotta understand is that in our chapter today, in verse five, Paul's gonna say, I wish you all spoke with tongues. In verse uh, 18, he's gonna say, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. And then in verse 39, he says, listen to this church, forbid not the speaking of tongues. It's for today. That's the black and white reading of the scriptures. And it's not gonna go away until we see Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, look at verse two. Now, this is very important. I really want you to get this. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. <laughs> okay, just stop right there. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to what? Men. But to who? God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, remember Paul wants them to emphasize that gift in the church assembly. He who prophesies speaks for edification and exhortation and comfort to who? Men. All right, here's your next point. Please, please, please get this. This is key. The gift of tongues is directed toward God. The gift of prophecy is directed toward man. I'm just gonna give you a second to write that down because a lot of churches mess up right here. The gift of tongues is directed toward God. The gift of prophecy is directed toward man. 
in many Pentecostal churches, someone will stand up and they'll speak in tongues. And then an interpreter will stand up and the interpreter will interpret what the person just said in tongues. But the problem is they interpret it as a message to man, right? Thus saith the Lord, turn from your wicked ways and do what is right. Okay, well, time out. That may be the gift of prophecy that's at work right there, but it's certainly not a correct interpretation of the tongues that was just spoken. Why? Because it says again, I don't want to be the dead horse, but I want you to get this. Look at verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man. If you see that, please say yes. Okay? You don't, you're not speaking to man. You're speaking to God. And so what are you saying to God? You're giving him through a divine enablement, thanksgiving and praise and worship. You're declaring the wonderful works of God. And this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. 120 people, disciples of Jesus, they're in the room, they're praying, right? Jesus said, uh, tarry ye in the uh, city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The birthday of the church, the Holy Spirit comes. There's a sound of a, a mighty rushing wind, divided tongues of fire. You guys remember the story, sitting over their heads, and they began to speak in tongues. And people who were in Jerusalem on that day um, began to hear them. Now, here's where here, a lot of churches go wrong here. Please listen. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were not preaching the gospel to man in tongues. They were not doing that. Peter, later on, preached the gospel in their language. Okay, but when they were speaking in tongues, they were not giving the gospel to man. What were they doing? It says in, write this down, Acts 2.11, Acts 2.11 Quote, this is all the visitors from all around the world on the day of Pentecost. Quote, here's what they said. We hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. The disciples on the day of Pentecost were not preaching the gospel to man. No, in their other languages, a divine enablement, they were declaring the works of God. They were worshiping God. They were praising God. They were lifting God up. They received the divine enablement to give thanksgiving and praise to God, listen, in languages they had not naturally learned. Some people try to say, well, the, 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 the miracle was in the hearing. They were just praising God in their own natural tongue, but the real miracle is that they heard it, and that's not what the Bible says. They were actually speaking in a different language, and it was a divine enablement by the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Those of you who have the gift, you know that's a, so true. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now look at verse five. For those of you who maybe come from a church background where they say tongues have ceased, look, look, look at verse five. I wish you all spoke with tongues. <laughs> but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Paul says in verse five, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But we know that he's saying that 
while he also understands that not everybody has the gift. Let me say that again. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but Paul really knew that not everybody had the gift. How do we know that? Turn back to, verse, to chapter 12 again. Let's, let's review. Look at chapter 12. You remember in, starting in verse 27? Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, then prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. And now I want you guys to answer the rhetorical question out loud, starting in verse 29. Are you ready? Are all apostles in the church, yes or no? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? No. You can't put a yes there. The rhetorical answer is no, 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 no. Do all interpret? No. And so Paul knows that not everybody has the gift. But for those of you who have the gift, please turn back to chapter 14. For those of you who have the gift, you know what he said in verse four is true. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. As you pray in tongues, as you use your prayer language that is a divine enablement from God for you to worship and praise and thank the Lord, you know you've experienced it. You are being edified inside of yourself. Your faith is being strengthened. You are being blessed. Some of you guys who don't have the gift, you're thinking, what is he talking about? Should I be praying for this? I, I don't know. I'm confused. Well, you either have the gift or you don't. And it's not something you know where you have to lose any sleep over it. It's God's sovereign. He chooses whether we have the gift or not. Okay, and so those of you who have the gift, you know as you use your prayer language, right, that you are edified, that you are built up. Okay, but, 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 what's more important? Building yourself up or building up others? Others. And that's why Paul said in verse five that he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Why? Because the person who's speaking forth God's word with a divine enablement is building up a lot of people. The person who's praying and speaking in tongues is building up their selves. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, well, we'll keep going. Verse six. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues. Okay, so what is he doing? He's correcting the fact that they're out of order. He's correcting the, the fact that they're misusing the gift of tongues in the assembly of the church. Here's his point. Brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And so what you're gonna see now all the way through verse 20 is Paul's gonna make one point. And he's gonna bang it home over and over and over again. Here's the one point between verses six and 20. In order for edification to take place in the church, there must be what? There's gotta be understanding. Paul says as their founding pastor, if I come to you, Church of Corinth, speaking in tongues, how's that gonna profit you? You're not gonna understand a word that I say. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna speak in your language, and I'm gonna share a revelation. I'm gonna share 
a knowledge. I'm going to share prophecy. I'm going to share teaching. And as, I'm, as those gifts are flowing through me in your language, as he says in verse 6, then you're going to be edified. Okay, look at verse 7. He's going to pound this over and over and over. He says, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? All right, here's what Paul's saying. If I want to play Amazing Grace on a flute, I can't play the flute, by the way. But I grab the flute and I just start going, it's not going to sound like Amazing Grace. It's going to sound like noise. If I want to play Amazing Grace on, I'm not going to use a harp, we'll use a more modern instrument, a, a, a guitar. I can't play the guitar. But I grab a guitar because sometimes I look at these people up here and I'm thinking, man, in heaven I'm doing that and I am going to be awesome for the Lord. I can't wait to get up there. Right? I can't do it now. So if I get up there right now and I just start going, vroom, 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 it's not going to sound like Amazing Grace. It's going to sound like noise. There's no distinction in the sounds is what Paul's saying. We have a piano in our home. Sometimes people will come over and they have a little a kid. And I understand this. I have grace. But sometimes a little kid will go over and just start banging on the keys. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, a piece of sheet music could be open before them. Doesn't sound like anything on that sheet music. Why? They're just banging on the piano. Now, is that annoying? Or is that... Um, something that's pleasing to the ear. Is that pleasant or is it painful? It's painful. We, we could take it for like a minute, right? But then, you know, God, give me patience here. <laughs> and so what happens is the parent will come up to the child and say, no, honey, you know, we're not gonna do that right now, and they'll close it. In the same way, some people will come into a church service. And I thank God God has spared us of this for 11 and a half years, but we're growing, and so who knows what's gonna happen in the future. But in the same way, people will come into a church service and right in the middle of the sermon, they'll stand up and they'll start speaking out in tongues. And they sound like a kid banging on the piano. It's not right. They're out of order. And somebody says, well, the Spirit just came over me and I couldn't control myself. Well, time out. I thought Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not going to make you out of control. He's going to help you be in control. You're not, your tongue's not going to go, you know, flying all over the place. You're not going to fall on the ground out of control. I don't believe that's of the Holy Spirit. Get mad at me if you want. I don't believe that's of the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so what will happen is that people will sometimes do that in the middle of a service and, you know, they, well, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the congregation. Okay, well, time out. If the pastor of a church is teaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Why would the Holy Spirit interrupt himself? The Holy Spirit's not going to interrupt himself. And so what happens when, whenever that happens in some churches, that an, just like a parent's got to come up to the kid and say, no, no, honey, an elder or an usher's got to come up and very lovingly say, I'm sorry, you can't do that right now. And then, you know, usually people get mad and they leave and they're gone. Look at verse 8. 
He says, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now, my dad, both my big brothers were in the military. I never was, so I had to look this up on Google. But in the army, apparently, there's a lot of bugle calls. I couldn't believe the lists of bugle calls in the army. In the morning, there's reveille, right? I remember growing up, my dad used to bang on the bunk beds for me and my brothers to wake up, and he would whistle reveille. We would want to kill him, but we were this big, and he was this big, so there's no match. At noon, there's mess call, right? At night, there's taps. Now, in a battle, there's charge, there's retreat. And the, the distinction in the notes tells the soldiers what to do. But if somebody like me who doesn't know how to play the bugle just gets up there and starts blaring into the bugle a bunch of uncertain notes, the soldiers are going to say, well, what are we supposed to do? Get up or go to bed? Are we supposed to eat or are we supposed to assemble? Are we supposed to charge or are we supposed to retreat? And there's going to be confusion here. You see what Paul's saying? Look at verse 9. Here's the application. So likewise you, okay? Church of Corinth, you're out of order. You're messing up in this area. I'm your founding pastor. I have apostolic authority. I'm speaking to your life, okay? So likewise you, verse 9, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, just in your natural language that everybody understands, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the what? Into the air. So, so when somebody stands up and speaks out in tongues in the public assembly of the church, people are going to hear the uncertain sounds and they're going to like the soldiers, they're going to like, what are we supposed to do here? This is awkward. And there's going to be confusion. Paul keeps banging this home. Look at verse 10. He says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of a language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner also to me. So have you guys ever been in a foreign country on vacation or business or whatever, and you ask somebody on the street a question? Right? Where is the bathroom? And you remember the looks like, and so you think if you say it slower, they're going to get it. <laughs> Bathroom, right? And they're like, and then you think, because some people can be jerks, if I say it louder, where's the bathroom, right? They start yelling. Hey, if you yell and it's not their language, they're going to look at you like you have two heads. In the same way in the church, when someone starts yelling out in tongues, everybody looks at them like they have two heads. Why? What's needed? The same thing that's needed in a foreign country, Paul says. An interpreter. That's what's needed. There's got to be understanding. Look at verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may what? 
interpret. So those of you who have the gift, you should also pray that you can interpret the gift. Why? Verse 14, for if I pray, there's, that, this is where we get prayer language. And back in my old church days, I had no idea. People talk about prayer language. I look at them like they have two heads until I read this scripture. He says in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is what? Unfruitful. Some of you who pray in tongues, you know that's true. You don't always know what you're saying. Well, take comfort, God knows. And it's beautiful to his ears, it's worship and it's praise to him. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? He says, I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I also will sing with the understanding. Why? Because he says in verse 16, otherwise if you bless with the spirit, right, in a foreign tongue, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? And by the way, there's another evidence why tongues is to God and not to men. You see that? Um, How will the person who sits in the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? You're speaking to God in thanksgiving and worship and praise. But how are they gonna say amen to that since he does not understand what you say Verse 17, for indeed, and Paul's coming down hard on these people. For indeed, give, you give thanks well, right? As you're praying and praising in tongues, God hears you, God understands, you're giving thanks well, but the person sitting next to you is not edified. And then for those of you who want to just like totally get rid of the whole gift out of the church, you got to deal with verse 18. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so what you gotta understand here as you check out the flow of the Apostle Paul's thinking here in his writing, in his devotions, he prayed in tongues. Very obvious in the scriptures, yes or no? Yes. More than anybody else in the church. But he also prayed with his understanding. That would be Hebrew, Greek. In his devotions, he sang in tongues. He sang in an unknown language. His spirit sang, but his mind was unfruitful. I think it's in verse 14, right? I'm just teaching the word to you. He's praying in tongues. He's singing in tongues. But he also says, I will also pray, and I will also sing in my own natural language, which would be Hebrew or Greek. But, listen, listen, if you're here, if you're with me here, say amen here. But at church, he spoke the language everybody knew so that all could be edified. Paul says in church, I'd rather speak just five words in the language that everybody understands than 10,000 words in a tongue. I mean, if that's not like clear, I don't know what clear is. What is he doing here? He's, he's, up playing, it's not a word. He's emphasizing praying and praising in tongues in your personal devotions. And he's downplaying speaking in tongues in church. He just said it, in church, I'd rather speak five words that everybody understands so they can be built up than 10,000 words where I'm just speaking out into the air. So look at verse 20. 
And this is the problem in the church of Corinth. Brethren, don't be children, right? It's time to grow up. Don't be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. He's saying, Corinthians, grow up, be mature. A sign of an immature church, listen to this, is when everybody speaks out in tongues, like out into the air, as it says in verse nine. They're all speaking in tongues at the same time, but nobody understands, and so nobody is edified. And Paul says, that's childish. You gotta grow up. It's like the kid banging on the piano. Now, I gotta say this for clarification, because no doubt some of you are thinking of it because you come from churches where everybody's allowed to speak in tongues at the same time. And you say, well, what about the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was a beautiful, amazing move of God in Acts chapter two, verse four. And everybody was, was, was worshiping and praising in tongues and hundreds and hundreds of people heard their language, the wonderful works of God. Okay, that was a beautiful thing, but God never meant that to be normative in the church. Let me say that again. A beautiful move of God, Acts chapter two, verse four. But God never meant that, everybody speaking in tongues at once, as to be normative in the church. Well, how do you know, Pastor Mike? Because when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, some 20, 25 years later, the apostle Paul, because this is a problem in the church, nobody's getting edified, nobody's understanding, he's gotta write down the regulations of the uses of tongues. And in a little while, we're gonna see, one at a time, what is it, three at most, we'll find out when we get there. Make sure there's an interpreter there, okay? Do you guys get this? In other words, when you're reading through the scriptures, here's great hermeneutics, Bible interpretation. There's some passages that are descriptive and there's some passages that are prescriptive. Acts chapter two, verse four is descriptive. The Holy Spirit through Luke is describing what God did at that time, but, in Acts 14, this is prescriptive. This is canon law. What we're talking about here is the law for all churches. Why? Because Paul's an apostle. And when Paul, you're gonna see at the end of the chapter, when he writes, it's the commandments of Jesus. It's prescriptive. So we look at some of the descriptive things in the word of God. Well, that's nice. It may not apply for today, but that's nice. It's descriptive. But when you get to the prescriptive verses in the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen, if you're really a born again, sold out follower of Jesus Christ, you're gonna sit up and you're gonna say, God, by your spirit, help me to obey the apostle Paul because I know he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. And I hope people will grow up. He says in verse 21, in the law it is written. Okay, we're going deep here. <laughs> and by the way, scholars say that verses 21 through 25 is one of the most difficult passages in the entire New Testament. All right, we're gonna take a shot at it. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people and yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 22, tongues are for a sign. This is one of the uses for tongues. Lots of uses, but here's one. Tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe, but to the who? Unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 
Now in verse 21, I know we're going deeper here. Stay engaged. Paul is taking two passages from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. He's putting them together. First of all, Deuteronomy 28. Can we see the verse from Deuteronomy chapter 28? This is the law. Here's what Paul is saying. He's referring to this verse. The Lord, Moses says to Israel, will bring a nation against you from afar, from the ends of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. And so Moses prophesied to Israel that if they disobey God, a pagan nation's gonna come in, they're gonna invade, and God's gonna use that pagan nation to judge them. By the way, for those of you who like chronology of the Bible, that, that prophecy right there was given around 1500 B.C. One of the nations that fulfills that prophecy some 800 years later, starting in 740 B.C. all the way to about 722 B.C., is the Assyrians. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying here. Okay, the Assyrians come down. And they are used by God to judge the 10 northern tribes of Israel because of their unbelief and they take the 10 northern tribes of Israel into captivity. Paul's also talking about Isaiah 28. Let's look at that verse. For with stammering lips and another tongue, God will speak to this people, yet they would, what's the last two words? So what's going on? Why is Paul bringing this up? Well, before the Assyrian captivity, starting in 740 or so, 722 BC, before all that, because God loves us, he's faithful. He's faithful to Israel. He loves Israel. What did he do? He sent his prophets and they warned the people, stop bowing down to idols. Stop having false gods. Stop disobeying the law. You guys need to turn from your ways. This is prophecy, the gift of prophecy through the Jewish prophets. You guys need to turn from your ways because you remember what Moses said? It's gonna happen if you don't get your act straight here. And sure enough, they would not hear. And so sure enough, the Assyrians came down. The Assyrians, you think ISIS is bad? These people were wicked and vile. And God used them to judge the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And they came down. And when they came down and invaded, right, the, the Jews were no match because God wasn't with them. And so the Jews heard the foreign tongue of the Assyrians. And it was a sign of judgment because of their unbelief. And so the Lord is saying to the Jews through this, these passages, hey, if you're not going to listen to my prophets who speak to you in your own language... I'm gonna bring the Assyrians who speak in a different language to take you into captivity. When they hear your foreign language, it'll be a sign of my judgment. Okay, so does that make sense to you guys? Look at verse 22. Let's apply this to the New Testament. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you find out what it's there for. Okay, don't take verses out of context. Keep, them, keep the flow going. Therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to, what? Unbelievers, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And so here's your next point if you're taking notes. One of the reasons, only one of the reasons for the gift of tongues is they are a sign of judgment for unbelievers. While prophecy 
is for the edification of believers. In the Old Testament, the Assyrians' foreign language was a sign of judgment against the unbelieving northern tribes of Israel. Likewise, in the New Testament, the gift of tongues is a sign to unbelievers, hard-hearted unbelievers. And so look at verse 22b. Prophesying, on the other hand, is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And so before the Assyrian captivity, there were some Jews, they were in the minority, they were the remnant. They believed the gift of prophecy flowing through the Jewish prophets. They, they repented, they believed. Some of them became believers there. Some of them, um, because of the fact they heeded it, they showed that they were already believers. And so tongues, here's the bottom line. Tongues are a sign of judgment for unbelievers. That's one of its uses. Prophecy is for believers and those who will become believers. And now Paul makes the application for us, the church. Look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak out with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, he's talking about hard-hearted unbelievers here, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Have you ever experienced that before? And so what Paul is saying here is that when a hard-hearted unbeliever comes into a church and hears everybody speaking in tongues, what are they going to do? They're going to stand in the back and they're going to ridicule. Now, what the church is doing is not right, but just stay with me here. They're going to ridicule. They're going to mock. <laughs> Whatever, right? And they're going to show by their response that they don't know anything about the things of God, and it's going to be a sign of their judgment. Now, should the whole church be speaking out with tongues at the same time? No. But even when the gift is done correctly, one person speaks and there's an interpreter. When a hard-hearted unbeliever hears that, <laughs> whatever. And he will show by his response that he is headed for judgment. Tongues are a sign of judgment for unbelievers. But now Paul switches gears to talk about unbelievers who are open to the gospel. Look at verse 24. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And so now what's happening in the church is if an unbeliever who's open to the things of God comes into the church and he hears not everybody speaking in tongues, but he hears the, the foretelling of God's word, right? Then all of a sudden what happens is that person comes under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Then the secrets of his hearts are revealed, right? He's open to the things of God. Then all of a sudden he's falling on his face. He's worshiping God. He's saying, God's with all these people. In other words, the guy becomes a believer. So one more time, tongues are a sign of judgment for hard-hearted unbelievers, but prophecy is for believers and those who are going to become believers. we got to move on. We're running out of time. Look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, 
has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. He says, let all things be done for edification. So what you need to understand here, church family, if you have your attention, we're gonna teach all the way up to the end and then we'll dismiss you because we're running out of time. But you gotta stay with me here, okay? In the first century church, they didn't have big buildings like this. You guys remember where they met? They met where? In homes. So in that smaller set, um, smaller setting, some people had a psalm, some people had a teaching, some people had a tongue, that's fine, as long as there's an interpretation. You see that there? Some have a revelation, and, and that's great. That is a descriptive verse. It's not a prescriptive verse. This is, verse 26 is not canon law. Every church service needs to look like verse 26. This is the way the Corinthians did it in their small settings. If we, on a Sunday morning, try to pattern our church after verse 26, you think our services are long now? Eight, 10, 12 hours. There'd be three of you left after about one hour. Okay, so this is great in a smaller setting. He says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, here's the regulations, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. This is their house churches, smaller setting, totally appropriate. But, verse 28, if there's no interpreter, let him, what's the next two words? Keep silent. Some of you guys have the gift of tongues, and man, you want to shout it out. I know you do, because you love the Lord. I'm not dissing you. You love the Lord, you want to shout it out. Okay, please look at that. There's no interpreter, keep silent in the church. Let him just speak to yourself and to God. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent, right? Order in the church. All of you can prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all can be encouraged. And so here's your, here's your next point. If you're taking notes, as we start winding down here, he says, concerning the gift of prophecy, we must be discerning and judge everything by God's word. Ladies and gentlemen, when someone stands up and gives a word of prophecy in that smaller gathering, there needs to be mature saints that are gonna judge that. That's exactly what he just said. If somebody stands up right in a smaller gathering and they say, thus says the Lord, by Christmas, God's gonna judge America. The stock is gonna crash and the economic is gonna be ruined all over America. By the way, that happens all the time. Thus saith the Lord, right? Okay, what's gonna happen to new believers that don't know the word of God? They're running home, they're selling all their stock, they're going crazy. There needs to be leaders mature people in that group that can say time out that's not from the Lord you can get mad at me if you want but that is not from the Lord a lot of weird things have been done over the years because of false prophecies a lot of weird things okay I don't care if, you, if people get mad but I'm going to say it a lot of weird things have been done in hyper Pentecostal word of faith prosperity churches and we need to avoid those churches be careful what you watch on tv be careful what you listen to on the internet when someone says i had a conversation with a 900 foot jesus something's wrong 
When someone says, God's gonna end my life if I don't raise millions of dollars, something's really wrong. Someone says, God's gonna destroy Orlando with a meteor. The guy's still on television. There's something wrong. When someone says the rapture's gonna take place on a certain date, we gotta be discerning and say, hey, you can get mad at me if you want, you can leave if you want, but I'm here for God's glory and the good of God's people, and what you're saying is off base. And so we're gonna reject what you are saying. Verse 32, as the worship team comes up. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Okay, I, I, I used to be in churches where they, the guy would stand up, he'd start yelling out prophecy, made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. He's out of order. God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Okay, ladies, put your seatbelts on here. I'm so tempted to close in prayer because we're out of time, but <laughs> it, it might save me a stoning right here. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. I'm going to go run and hide behind Matt. <laughs> but they are to be submissive, as the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, again, before you stone me, here's what you've got to understand. Paul is not saying all women can never speak in the church, ever. He's not saying that. How do you know? Because chapter 11, right, we've got to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Chapter 11, he talks about women praying and prophesying in church. Okay, and so he's not saying that. What he's saying is in the early churches, they set the seating arrangements like the Jewish synagogues. Men were separate from the women. And what was happening in the middle of a sermon, apparently, a woman's like, to her husband, hey, Harold, this tongue stuff's weird, right in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> Paul says, don't disrupt the service. Be respectful of the people around you. Ask your husband at home. Verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? Hey, if, here's prescriptive for you right here. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the, help me out with the rest of the verse. We gotta sit up, we gotta take notice. But if anyone's ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.